Hi, it's Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you love digging into the week's political headlines, subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our reporters take you behind the scenes of some of the biggest stories from the campaign trail to the halls of Congress. Just for our Inside the Hive listeners, save 15% on a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair with promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off one year of all you can read, watch, and hear. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok, and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Inside the Hive. I'm here with my co-host, Joe Hagan. I'm Emily Jane Fox. Joe, hey! Hello. We're back. We have a great interview today, and it's something that you and I have mentioned like 700 times over the last year. Uh, I think in every time we've gotten to talk uh, over the last six months, we've said, we really should bring on an economist. And then we haven't brought on an economist. Well, today's the day. This week is the week we have brought on an economist. We've brought on uh, a, an incredible economist. Her name is Beth Ann Bovino. She is the chief U.S. economist at S&P, which feels like the economist to be talking to. Mm-hmm. When I was uh, a, a young lady and I was just out of journalism school, I worked at CNN, uh, I used to cover markets, and I had no idea what markets were. So I used to, every day, three times a day, do an update to the markets right on CNN. And that's a pretty high-stakes thing. You know, you have like millions of people reading what's going on in the markets, and I literally had no idea what was going on in the markets. So I used to rely on people like her all the time, and they were incredibly helpful at explaining what was going on in markets and what was going on in the economy. So it was sort of the perfect person to have on this week when markets have been crazy. The Fed, for the first time, talked about raising rates uh, in the next couple of months. So we got to talk all about that. We got to talk about inflation in a real way. And I know that's something that we're all talking about, not only because it's impacting our day-to-day lives, but because... Uh, It will definitely impact what happens in the midterm election and in the presidential election after that. We talked about the job market. We talked about uh, supply chain shortage. We talked all about Mm. all the things that you and I, I know, are thinking about and talking about here on this podcast and everyone else is sort of feeling and worrying about. And uh, it's a very strange economic moment. It's in some ways the hottest economy that we've had in many, 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 many years, and yet no one feels like it's a hot economy. So we got to talk about all of that, why that may be, and uh, what she thinks is going to be on the horizon in, in 2022. Well, I was just I was thinking about this this morning and getting ready to hear this interview uh, and when I ran across this tweet by a comedian named Dan Wilbur, which I think sums up everything. He says, um, I read some more news about the economy, and what I've deduced is... Everything will either go back to normal soon, but some businesses will eat it on Wall Street, or six months from now, a bag of almonds is going to cost the same as a used car. <laughs> and that's basically like, you know, the uh, amount of uncertainty 
that we seem to be living with, both politically, economically, virally. And, uh, you know, that's why we wanted to have an economist on here is to give us just a little bit of the contours of that and help us understand anything, really. But today, as we sit here and record, you know, we learn that the economy's technically doing great, right? The latest numbers came in, Biden's touting them. This has been biggest economic boom in, in many years. And yet people feel just on the you know, ground level, like that's not the case for whatever reason, probably because they're stuck at home or dealing with COVID or, and we have people quitting their jobs. There's all these new factors that people can't, you know, that they haven't seen before and makes people nervous and anxious, right? It's fun. It's, it's a funny moment. You have wages super high for those who are choosing to stay in the workforce in a way that you haven't really seen wage growth in decades. You see full employment for those who want employment in a way that we haven't seen in a really long time. Um, people have a lot of money. Their savings account are, are fat and people spending money too. Like the, the numbers in a traditional way you look at the economy are unprecedented. Even growth, which is projected to be slightly slower in 22, I think it's like four times the amount of what you would consider growth in the economy. It's a crazy thing. But the costs of things because of the pandemic and because of some of the economic policies that the Fed has been implementing, it feels unsustainable and it feels crazy. And you go to the stores and there aren't things on shelves or if there are things on shelves, they're incredibly expensive. If you're trying to have people do work on your house or you bought a new house because so many people did over the last few years, you moved out of the city or you moved into a bigger house because you had more money in your savings account, uh, try and get a contractor to come. We had a, a plumber come this week and the amount of money we paid to the plumber was truly sure. I like, I thought this person misspoke and he's an expert and he's incredible, but he was like the cost of everything, the thing, the filter that they had to replace in our sink was like three times what it cost last time we replaced it. So it just, you feel it, you feel it in every segment of your life. And uh, it's just a crazy moment that we're living in. We have more and yet we have to pay more at the same time. Yeah. Well, don't I know it. I um, spent the last few months building a home office, which I'd never had, you know, it only took me like having a career for like 20 years to have my own <laughs> office. But, um, and the cost of blew my mind, you know, just, and the dealing with the contractors and yes, these are sort of like um, perhaps first world problems when you even have a contractor. But the fact is, is they are doing quite well. You know, there's yes. more work than they could possibly imagine out there and certainly more work than they can even do, right? Um, I'm speaking as one who lives in an area where, Thousands of people left the city, as you said, to buy properties elsewhere, and they're all building. And um, mm-hmm. so that's probably what's driving some of these numbers is that kind of you know, economic activity. So, well, anyway, I'm very excited to hear this, and I am excited for the future. You know, right mm. now, everybody I know thinks that this is the apocalypse and that we're on the brink of just basically the worst that could possibly happen. And I really do suspect, and this is just me, the optimist talking again, you don't have to take this seriously if you don't want to, but we are sort of um, in this myopia of January where we can't imagine 
COVID receding. We can't imagine inflation coming down. We can't imagine Joe Biden getting his messaging together and that the Democrats could, you know, stop acting like, you know, shooting themselves in the foot and circular firing squad and all the different cliches. But wait six months, wait a few months, wait till the sun comes out and things are a little different and the point of view changes. The, the, the nature of our news cycle, as we have learned, makes us feel like uh, the world is ending kind of as a business model, <laughs> you know, the way that our media works. So I'll just plant my flag on the things are going to look a little brighter and sunnier in six months. I'm joining you on the sunny side today, partly because I've chosen to tune out superfluous noise. And I really, I know that we talked about this before and I've been doing this for a few months, but I'm like so deeply on that train now. And I feel like I, I have found the experts that I need to find and I listen to them on things that are important to me and I don't seek out anything else and I don't really care about anyone else's opinions except for the very few people who I choose to tune into. I like there are epidemiologists whose newsletters I like. There are people on Twitter who I look up. There are news sources that bring me joy. There are podcasts that I feel like are really informative and I literally don't care about anything else at this present moment because I've, I'm sort of choosing to remain in a well-informed information bubble. Uh, that has brought me a lot of peace and joy and sanity, I think, after a lot of years of craziness. And additionally, I feel like armed with that information, I could make informed decisions about where I think we're headed. I feel like this is not going to be normal life the way that we knew it five years ago. But I do think we will end up in a place where we can comfortably live with where we are, knowing that there are risks associated, particularly for people who are immunocompromised or who live with people who are immunocompromised or who have young children like I do or who have elderly relatives like everybody does, whatever it is, there's going to be risks associated and, and you have to make calculations about how those risks work for you and your family. But I think for most of the people in this country, we will end up in a place where we're okay where we may get COVID in a way that feels like the flu at some point and uh, we're able to live some semblance of normalcy. And I do feel like we are getting to a place where that is not a crazy thing to think about. The other thing I will say is I was listening, I went for a run this morning on my drive home. I was listening to cable news as I usually do. And um, they were talking about the short list for the Supreme Court. And I found it so delightful because it was such nerdology. And yeah. that's what I want to listen to right now. I want to listen to like nerdy people talking about substantive things. I don't want to hear hyperbolic political discourse. But this, this nerdy talk about who could possibly be nominated to the Supreme Court from people who really know what they're talking about really delighted me. So I feel like if we could have more of those discussions, that's informative, useful, and, and feels like good discourse. But I am joining you on the sunny side of the street because I'm choosing to tune out some of that hyperbole. Well, this is a great segue into talking to somebody with a cooler, calmer I'm not going to call her a nerd. That wouldn't be fair. But she uh, is going She's to— She's an economist. I feel like they're they're adjacent. The, yeah, they're adjacent. There's a, there's a, a Venn diagram. But um, let's put some perspective on this and talk to a real person who knows real things. 
Let's get to it. And we'll see you right back here next week. Hey, John Favreau here. There's no shortage of political takes in 2024, but quantity doesn't cut it. We need a better conversation about the latest biggest election of our lives. On Pod Save America, me and my co-host cut through the noise to help you figure out what matters and how you can help. Every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, Pod Save America is breaking down the political news that makes us laugh, cry, and snap our laptops in half. Expensive year for laptops. Make sure to check out new episodes of Pod Save America on your favorite podcast platform or our YouTube channel now. I am so excited to welcome Beth Ann Bovino, the Chief Economist at Standard & Poor's Rating Services. Beth Ann, thank you so much for joining us this week. My pleasure. Every week, my co-host Joe Hagan and I talk about bringing on an economist because it seems like we're in this completely fascinating, confusing, mismessaged, weird moment here, and there's no one better to have than you, but particularly this week, as we speak, it's just a few hours after the Federal Reserve said that it will likely raise rates in March. The markets have been crazy all week. So I'm wondering what your first blush reaction to that decision is, and then your reaction to the market reaction to that decision. Certainly. Uh, well, it's very funny. I, I Markets had been anticipating the Fed to be aggressive on raising rates. In fact, markets have been actually pricing in more rate hikes than what the Fed has indicated. So to me, it seems to be a case of uh, be careful what you wish for. Markets had been expecting the Fed to raise rates. They've been expecting a, a very hawkish Fed policy. Yet when the Fed said just that, it seemed that there was a panic that unfolded. Now, it could be that the stock market has been so hot for so long, mm -hmm. this was just a natural correction. But it still was a bit of a surprise when we saw the markets uh, turn tail and run. Why do you think that happened? I know that it's hard for you to explain all investor behavior and psychology, but you're someone who watches this every day. And I agree with you that this has been baked in, that this has been completely expected. So what is the, is it sort of like you think about it, you think about it, you think about it, and then, oh my God, it actually happened. And it's it's not like what you planned for, or even though you expected it to happen, it's making you nervous? I think that markets indeed just, um, the markets had been anticipating, they had been expecting it. Uh, the Fed had been there for some time uh, in terms of keeping the, this party going with incredibly accommodative policy. But once the Fed said so, that they were making this move, markets didn't know how to respond and indeed ran for it. What is accounting for this decision to make the move now to raise rates. I know that the Fed has been spiking the punch for some time now. So why move the punch bowl at this present moment? I think many would say that the Fed is a bit behind the curve. Sure. Uh, the Fed had been talking about that these incredible spikes in inflation, which had reached a you know, the pace had reached a 40-year high, um, the Fed had been saying for some time that this was largely transitory. Well, they started to talk about persistence at this point in time. And, and indeed, it started to show up in inflation expectations that looked like they were becoming what would be called de-anchored. The Fed, in a sense, had to move and they had to move forcefully. I think that's what the Fed said today and indeed what the Federal Reserve Chairman Powell had indicated as such. Markets got mm. scared on the news. I want to talk all about inflation and, and why we're in this inflationary period. But 
I want to back up first. I'm so curious to hear from you. You look at this every day, and we all know that the economy is in this fascinating place. But what is a clear, comprehensive picture of where we are with our economic fundamentals, maybe over the last year and and where they are now? I'm talking jobs numbers, wages, consumer spending, consumer confidence, housing rates, inflation. Just what is the clearest explanation of this very interesting moment? You don't have to be an economist to know that the economy is incredibly hot. Last year's economic growth is likely to come in at a 37-year high. Could even be higher than that. This year, uh, we're expecting growth to come in at twice what would be normal or normal, so-called normal trend growth. So incredibly strong readings. And what we're seeing now is, well, the response from this, this, we would say this is the kind of the the reopening effect was a big part of this. People were happy, thrilled to be able to finally get out of quarantine, to finally be able to see their neighbor. And indeed, this holiday season that just passed was one where people celebrated, you know, no matter what the price was, because they wanted to see their family yet again after so many months. Mm. Uh, The housing market has been incredibly hot. And that's also tied, in a sense, to the pandemic, because many people left. This is going back to the early 2020s. The panic of the virus caused many to leave crowded cities and go somewhere safer to uh, suburbs or even to the Mm. countries, pushing up prices even higher at at homes. That is is still continuing, although we're starting to see, fortunately, some of that air coming out of those uh, those home prices. Uh, So that's one positive to go forward. Yeah. And and I think you also have this weird moment where people were investing in things at home. Obviously, home prices were through the roof and construction materials were hard to come by, uh, lawnmowers, all, all of the things that people were investing in at home. And because they weren't leaving their homes very often and because they had this infusion of support from the government that people had cash in their pockets, right? And they were, they were ready to spend. And I, I know that, that consumer spending was super hot, right? Over the last year. Is that right? That's another point that goes with the whole quarantine world that we lived in. Uh, First, people, you know, for those people who could afford it, they either bought a home, left the city, went to the suburbs or to the country. And of course, when you buy a new home, you have to fill it with stuff. For those people who stayed in the city or are those people who stayed where uh, where they had lived before the pandemic, since you're going to be stuck at home for a long time, you might as well fix things up. And of course, those stimulus checks that came from the federal government certainly helped make that easier. So what we saw was an incredible incredible uh, boost in spending activity from on the household side. And indeed, even though um, households spent a significant amount on their dwellings during the quarantine, they didn't spend as much as they normally would have. So after quarantine, after the doors opened wide, households were sitting on a lot of cash. Indeed, household savings is well over $2 trillion, this is on average, $2 trillion what it was in 2019. So that means a lot of people still have a lot to spend to keep that economy booming well past the end of the pandemic. One of the, the most fascinating things to me has been watching the labor market. I When I was first starting out as a reporter, I first started covering markets and would call really smart people like you every day, watching the numbers go up and down and say, can you explain to me why we just jumped 0.5% or why the market dropped 3%? And and after I did a bunch of that, I was a labor reporter and I, for years, watched the labor market and, and reported on all things related to that. And I 
am having a hard time wrapping my head around what's going on in the labor market right now. So please, as someone who looks at this and is smarter on this than I am, explain to me what we're seeing uh, with unemployment numbers being incredibly low, but the quit rate being high and wage growth growing. Just, just explain to me where we are. There's a lot of moving parts on what's happening with the jobs market. Indeed, when we look at, you see the numbers that come out for the, the monthly job gains. Normal times, we'd be popping the champagne. Looking at a job gains of, say, well over 300,000 is good news in normal times. But when we still have over six, I believe the numbers maybe around 6 million jobs that are still not accounted for post-pandemic, doesn't seem like enough. And what are the reasons why these jobs still haven't been filled? It's not because of businesses' demand for uh, workers is incredibly high with job openings at record levels. And that's been a way, that way for some time. But what's keeping workers out of the workforce was first blamed on, well, people who were unemployed uh, were relying on benefits uh, and that kept them from wanting to choose to take that job. Maybe that was part of it, but I think it, we found that it was a very, very small amount. The real factor why uh, businesses can't find the workers they need is because people, workers, have left the jobs market. Indeed, we now have a labor participation rate at a 45-year low. And when we look at the breakdown of who's left, yes, it is partly retirees, but that's not the real reason. What we've seen is that the majority of those workers who have left the workforce are people of prime age. That's people between the ages of 25 and 54. A lot of those people have families, and we think the pandemic is really what's keeping them from joining the workforce again. So why is that? Why is the pandemic keeping them from joining the workforce? What has happened to American workers that they are quitting their jobs? I think the big factor is fear of the virus, not just for themselves, but in particular for their families. Prime age workers often have have children, and those children may yet to have been able to get vaccinated. It was only recently where children between the ages of five and upwards were able to get the vaccine. But what about those young children, infants, although up to the age of four, they're still not immune to the virus. And I think parents are staying at home for fear of giving it to their children. Well, there's also the fact that schools and daycares and childcare providers have been completely unreliable in the pandemic. If you don't know if your child's going to have to uh, have their school closed for two weeks or their daycare closed for two weeks or they've been exposed to daycare and can't go back, um, that's a very hard way to keep a job. If, if all of a sudden for two weeks you say, I can't come to work because I have no childcare. That's a good factor as well. When you think about when we talked about um, businesses can't find the workers they need, well, that's also in child care. Child care institutions are struggling to find workers they need. And when you think about um, looking for in-home child care, that's even more a stretch. So that is something that uh, a struggle that parents face, certainly at this point in time. I would also add another thing that's keeping people out of the workforce a lot of people moved away from those crowded cities, so they don't live close to where they used to work. Transportation and travel adds a lot to the cost, and that may keep people also from uh, joining back to the workforce and retaking that job. And if you are watching this video, either I'm dead or I'm in a very, very, very bad situation. She said, oh my God, I can hear gunshots. I can hear men outside. Where are they? What have they done to them? Are they dead? Are they not dead? There is one suspect, her father the Sheikh. 
Madeline Barron from In the Dark. We've teamed up with our new colleague, Heidi Blake, at The New Yorker to try to answer a question about one of the richest men in the world, the ruler of Dubai. Why do the women in Sheikh Mohammed's family keep trying to run away? There is five policemen outside and two policewomen inside the house. So basically, I'm a hostage. And he reminded me that Sheikh Mohammed can get me anywhere. Because you're a rich and powerful person, you can effectively break any law you want in our country and get away with it. The Runaway Princesses is available now. Follow In the Dark wherever you get your podcasts. Well, what has happened then is because there's such a shortage of of workers, because so many people have left the workforce, is that the wage opportunity for people who have stayed or who are looking for a new job is incredible right now. If you're someone who's willing to work in the restaurant business right now, it feels like the world is your oyster. Is that right? Well, you would think so. I mean, when we look at the we, when we look at wages, uh, wage gains are now at over a fourteen-year high, extreme wage gains, and that's certainly what uh, businesses are 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 frustrated about. But at the same time, what we're also seeing is that inflation is at a forty-year high. So those wage gains, yes, in nominal terms, or in terms that you would you know that check that you get in your hand look good but when you when you adjust it for inflation those gains are actually in negative territory so ultimately nobody's happy right now let's just use this opportunity to talk about inflation because it's obviously top of mind with the rates today but but i think it's what everyone around the country is feeling give me a look into why we are at this period of record high inflation or a high inflation as high as it has been in the last 40 years. How did we get here? Well, part of it is good news. The pandemic, or at least the height of the pandemic, meaning the, the horrible times of early 2020, have somewhat passed. Now, we know that the Omnigron and, other, and the fear of another variant is still at play here. But indeed, um, some of the, the quarantine that households lived under uh, seemed to be behind us. So people celebrated. They got out. They spent money. So demand had surged. Now, that demand was helped partly because people weren't spending as much as they would have during quarantine, not taking those big trips uh, across the world, but also helped by the stimulus checks that put even more money in people's pocketbooks. So people were willing to celebrate, and that they did. Well, with demand going high, that certainly put upward pressure on prices. Those products that they wanted became more costly. The second side for it is that Production couldn't keep up with demand. Businesses weren't able to make product fast enough. So what we ended up seeing was, again, pushing up of prices on the supplies chain front. This is not just in the United States. It's across the world. So since this was a pandemic worldwide, many of the places that opened up still couldn't get those factories back to working as fast as they could. Mm, It's so interesting because... We have such a hot economy right now. It's it's really, it, it, it would be hard to find a hotter economy than, than what we do right now. And yet it seems as though people don't feel like there's a hot economy. It feels like if you look at all of the surveys about how people feel about the economy, uh, it doesn't match the numbers that we're seeing. And I'm sure inflation is part of that. But I'm curious what your read is on why there's a, there's a real mismatch in where the actual fundamentals are and how people feel about where the fundamentals are. First, I think that uh, earlier on, um, after the first 
wave of the pandemic, uh, the rejoicing was huge. Uh, I don't have the numbers in terms of what confidence levels were doing, but I can tell you that I was pretty happy. And I suspect that was a, uh, that was a feeling that many had felt. But at the same time, earlier on, unemployment rates were high. The U.S. economy, it's not like a light bulb where you can switch it on and off. It takes time. And so the frustration earlier on that kept sentiment readings, kept household confidence a little on the low side, was that, well, the jobs market hadn't come back yet and the unemployment rate was still high. Well, then comes a few months later towards the end of the year and earlier into this year, people kept spending. Demand was still hot because of all that cash that was in people's savings account. The economy started to really take off. But at this point in time, businesses couldn't keep up. And that's when, well, demand was still there, but those products that we wanted became a lot more expensive. And yes, wages climbed higher, and that's all good news, but still the wage gains couldn't keep up with inflation. So even those wages that you're getting still weren't as uh, rich as what you would have expected previous to this uh, this period. Mm. I'm so curious where you think this is headed in 22. There's a a heated debate in Washington that's happening. The inflation that we're seeing right now, some people are saying it's a result of policy choices that we've made in the U.S. And I'm curious where you fall. Do you think it's largely because of policies that we've chosen, that the Fed has chosen? Do you think much of it stems from global factors tied to the pandemic, like supply chains? Or where on the spectrum do you fall on those two things? I suspect that the biggest factor that's at play here is that it's more just tied to the supply chains, meaning how uh, the supply of all the components that make these products had been challenged is a, is probably not the right word to use here, but certainly had been challenged so that products weren't able to be made as fast as what the demand was for them. Mm. I think that maybe, maybe, you know, the certainly the stimulus that the U.S. and many other countries had put into place certainly added to household pockets, for example, and added to household savings, which made households able to spend at a higher price. But I think the big factor was that, you know, this pandemic shuttered most parts of the supply chain across the globe. And to restart them, takes time. It just doesn't work that fast. And so what happened was when the demand came in, businesses wanted to have as much of the supply as they needed. They couldn't get it fast enough. They bid up the prices of supply as well. It flowed all the way through the supply chain back to, you know, from the start. And that's sort of the mess that I think we're in right now. Mm. Well, speaking of the mess that we're in right now, I'm so curious with inflation, what it is, with the supply chain, where it is, with people exiting the workforce, but with this extreme opportunity for people who are entering the workforce, uh, what are you worried about as we head into 2022 in terms of the economy? Well, it's funny that we're talking a lot about some of the concerns and some of the the, the real worries out there. I'm but- going to ask you about your silver linings later, I promise you, but I'm, I'm so curious Um what what you're I guess maybe you can answer this as what you're what you're looking at positively and negatively at the same time. We don't have to split them up. Well, I just had to, I just wanted to put I just wanted to put it into perspective because yeah. we do have a very low risk of recession over the next twelve months. It's hard to imagine since we're talking about all these scary things like high yes. 
super high inflation, concerned about what the Fed will do next. And of course, the worries of this virus that I'm sure is keeping people wondering what to do next. I think that inflation right now is probably the biggest struggle that the U.S. faces at this point in time. We're watching a what seems to be a very disorderly reinflation or a repricing of, of risk uh, for the U.S. at this point in time. Households are feeling it and businesses are feeling it too. We can't ignore these new variants, um, you know, that uh, that the U.S. is facing. Omicron seems to be, fortunately, while it's incredibly infectious, fortunately it's less lethal. And that's a real positive. But of course, what could happen when the next variant comes? And that, I think, is one of the fears that I have at S&P Global, but I'm sure that's also what households are thinking about as well. Now, on the on other factors, certainly worries about tensions with, uh, with China over trade. Mm. And Tensions, of course, geopolitical risk is still um, front and center with what's happening with the U.S., Russia over the Ukraine. My last question for you is, knowing what you're concerned about, I'm, I'm optimistic and excited to hear what the things you're looking at positively as we go into 2022. You know, I'm glad you asked about some of the reasons why I'm optimistic. Well, well, for one thing, this economy is still incredibly hot. Now, we're looking at a growth, I'm looking at a growth rate that's going to come in likely about twice what would be considered normal trend growth, meaning that's that's just keeping up with demographics. And that's a pretty good thing to know. What are the reasons behind that? Well, household savings are incredibly rich. That means, that, and that we expect that households will be able to continue to spend at a nice healthy pace through this year. Now, they might complain about in those inflation, the, the prices at the checkout stand and become a bit more circumspect about what they buy after the recovery party is over. But it's still, that's a good side, strong household balance sheets. And that's not just at the high end. It seems to be across most groups. On the business side, while businesses overall seem to also have pretty healthy balance sheets at this point, the help by low interest rates would certainly help with their debt payments. But that also seems to suggest strength going into 2022. I guess I could say the other factor is now some of the pain that we're feeling right now, part of it is tied to the fact that we are doing so well. The U.S. economy is doing so well. And finally, the medical establishment has been able to improve treatment to face this virus. And that, again, is another positive piece of news I see going into this year. That certainly is a huge positive piece of news and gives us all something to walk away with and think about the good things about this very hot economy and the things to watch. I'm so grateful for your time and your brain on this. It was so helpful to just hear it laid out so clearly. I really appreciate you going through this with all of us. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you to our guest, Beth Ann Bovino, and of course, my co-host, Joe Hagan. If you enjoyed this conversation, please be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of Inside the Hive. You can find those on Apple Podcasts, radio.com, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. Thanks to the folks at Cadent 13, and of course, our great producer, Brett Fuchs. And thanks to our sponsors. Please be sure to thank them and support them any way you support this podcast. We'll see you right here next week.
There are a lot of issues on voters' minds right now. Six big ones could help decide the election. Guns, reproductive rights, immigration, the economy, health care, and the wars overseas. On the Consider This podcast from NPR, we will unpack the debates on these issues and what's at stake. You can listen to NPR's Consider This wherever you get your podcasts.